Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands. This week we are talking to Brett Robison, the co-founder and COO, sorry I almost did the wrong uh, acronym, um, of Silver Branch Brewing Company located in, convenient to their name, Silver Springs, Maryland. Thanks for joining me again, Brett. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's always always good to jump on the Uncapped podcast. What's well, I was just thinking today. It's been it's been over a year or roughly around a year since the last time I saw you. When, yeah. When we ran, when we uh, saw each other at Love Thy Beer. Yeah. Oh man, that was that was such a fun event too. I, I had a blast. I love that event, and I'm so sad that it isn't taking place this year. Yeah. I'm oh. sad for that that event but just like i'm just like i'm like sad that we have not had any events i'm you know i can't quite put my finger on it but i feel like somewhere in the next like so in so many months we're gonna start having events again and that i'm unbelievably excited for well that's like i um i was talking to someone like about how um there was an article i saw recently about how like entire classes of friends have been eliminated during this and like they list like those people that you would just see on a regular basis because of some place you went to or like all these different types of friends who could be good friends but they're not someone that you just pick up a phone and call on a regular basis so like and i started thinking about it, there are so many people i've lost touch with through this because it would be like i just happened to stop at their brewery a couple times a month or so and so i'm really looking forward to being able to do that again well i will i will say it's funny um you know full disclosure um my uh my therapist actually one of the recommendations that she gave me during this time was to work harder to reach out and network with people because that sort of like you're saying that kind of natural networking thing that happened where you got to see familiar faces and talk and hang out is like is not really happening in the same way so you kind of have to like at least for me i think people that i was accustomed to seeing out and about i've just spent a little more time to like pick up the phone and go hey do you exist i still exist yeah. <laughs> i would and i think if it weren't for doing this podcast i probably would be in a very dark place because it's this <laughs> every week being able to have an hour to two hour conversation with different people has definitely helped my mental state. So I can thank you for that also. <laughs> yes. Talking to, talking to, um, talking to other people who like beer about beer is uh, a satisfying experience. Yeah. Cause there's no hard thought to it. Like I just sit here, <laughs> I'm usually drinking a beer while I'm doing it. And we have definitely at least one thing in common. But, yeah, that's true. But so speaking of Love Thy Beer, there is something that we should give a real quick plug to off the bat. Because um, as we said, Love Thy Beer can't take place this year. And events like that are a big part of how uh, the Brewers Association of Maryland um, fund 
the all the things they do for breweries their advocacy work the educational programming they put on all the different things they do so this year i teamed up with them um and then also acs brand my beverage and two local artists brian baltz and eddie grove who are both have designed multiple maryland beer labels we came up with two uh glassware designs that we'll be selling um all of the proceeds i can't get the second one to go up all of the proceeds are going to go directly to bam um and you can pick those up at www.beerme.com slash store slash bam um, and I'll also put a link in the description of this episode. <clears throat> or if you look anywhere on my on Uncapped social media or uh, the Brewers Association of Maryland's so- social media, there's links to it too. Um, if you buy both of them, you get a deal. They're $15 a piece or 25 for both of them. I personally think they're beautiful. Um, and they're printed with ACS's amazing new... Uh, digital printer so if you're looking for new glassware for silver branch hit them up because that thing is amazing i went out last week to check it out and took some video of it printing and stuff it it's ridiculous how good they look i uh as you as you well know we have a pretty um prolific glassware obsession at silver branch and i saw that acs somewhere before even today, I saw somewhere that they entered the full color game. And I'm like, I've been like salivating for the first moment that I can start ordering some full color glasses from them. So we've worked with them in the past. And I, uh, I think once we, cause you know, and that's like a really fascinating thing. I'm like, I'm just excited to have so much of like a big part of what it means when you show up to silver branch about like serving the right beer and the right glasses that are attractive. Um, I think is really key. So I'm, I, uh, it's funny before COVID happened, we had already, we had designed a special glass, um, with ACS to, uh, be at our stout fest. Um, we were planning like a whole big festival around dark beer. Um, and then ultimately, you know, it just, one thing after another, it became increasingly apparent that the festival wouldn't happen in the end. Um, but that's really cool to see. Those glasses are sweet. I'm definitely going to pick some up. The The most amazing part of them is if you've seen other full wrap glassware done at other places, there's always that seam on the back where there's a couple millimeter overlap. Their machine is so precise, it just meets up perfectly. There's no oh, overlapping wow. scene on seam on the back. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's crazy how just precise that printer is. Which I I don't have any within arm's reach. I'd show you, <clears throat> but you can definitely do some cool stuff. Nice. Someone's calling me to try to get my uh, credit card information off of me. I get about three to four calls a day to lower the interest rate on my credit cards. <laughs> Um, so I guess now we should probably finally start talking about Silver Branch. Um, I think it's safe to say you kind you guys kind of built your name on classical styles. You're often they at Silver Branch is I don't even know how many times has been brought up 
in the last year on Uncapped by different brewers as an example of like the brewery that's crushing traditional styles and stuff. But of you're, you've definitely recently delved into all of the the newer popular uh, styles. Was what what was that shift about, or was that always planned for what you were going to do? I think um, you know one thing that's really fascinating is. Um, when Christian and I were sort of conceiving of Silver Branch in its infancy and we were thinking about the brand, um, there were really like, there were like two major sort of underpinnings that were really important to us. And the first was Gamutlikite. So it's sort of that friendly, cozy, warm, inviting, um, and at sometimes kind of like playful nature. Um, but then the other one that we didn't say as much publicly, but have always used internally for our own senses, the sense of timelessness. Um, and it's sort of like thinking about it, like we feel like there is a time and a place for the most, um, classically brewed, uh, you know, Czech Pilsner or making like what I'm probably going to have my next beer is a Baltic Porter. Um, and then we also feel like that is only one piece of the puzzle with respect to like what beer is. And so this, you know, sense of timelessness is something that we ascribe to where we want to be good at making the most traditional, you know, lager on planet earth. And then we also want to get really good at making some of the newer styles. Like one that we just came out with was our, um, our, uh, 10%, you know, um, milkshake IPA collab with idiom. And, um, you know, I think that's, that is, uh, so many steps removed from a classic lager, but we're releasing them at the same time. You know, like we had a Baltic border and a milkshake IPA, come out in the same 10 day stretch. Um, and I think that's really fundamental to our approach to everything. I think it's, we love beer and we love variety. And it's like, if, if you think there's a box that you can shove us into, we're going to fight that <laughs> at every <laughs> turn. We just want to, you know, and I think it's sort of the pursuit of just like trying out different stuff. That's it. When Mike first told me about the collaboration he was doing with you guys and then what it was, I was like, Wow, that sounds off-brand for Silver Branch. Um, I haven't had a chance to try it yet. I'm in, uh, but you you brewed it and released it at your brewery, right? Yeah, and, and then and he's going to do one there. Yeah, I think that's still in the pipeline for okay. some sometime in the future. I will say that um, we recently did a collab with Oliver as well, um, where we did a sort of deserted. Uh, take on our squeegee can man and we did it um, as like a key lime inspired thing sort of riffing on their super fruit can man concept um, and then they did a, uh, a Belgian hazy double IPA with gnomes on it from you know our because yeah, we've you know we've established some somewhat of a following for the for the saisons the um, no, so, Nomageddon right yeah, yeah. And I think we're like, I think what's cool, what I what I like about, I will say in this environment, collabs are hard. They're not, it's a lot of fun when you can do them and you can have a big party. I'm all about the big parties. And so it's a little less it, fulfilling 
when it's it just is, yeah it's not like you can't like have everybody over to your place on the night that you release it or at least some of the people that are able to make it and like make a thing of it and drink a whole bunch of beer um which is i think a really satisfying part of it um so we definitely are not brewing as many collabs today as I think we'd be interested in doing in the future. And it's largely in part because we want to have that really fun sort of rewarding moment or that kind of end cap when it, when the yeah. beer is ready to come out. That being said, I'm really happy with the ones that we've done recently because we, you know, it has allowed us to explore new things, you know, and I think in both cases, it took us, it allowed us to explore styles that were further past where we'd gone to date in either of those categories and doing it as a collab, we get to get insight from the other brewers who maybe have done this stuff more than we have in the past. And we get to learn from them. Um, you know, I'll say, I got to give props to, uh, Eric who, uh, was really in the driver's seat on downtown double shake. He's our assistant head brewer. Um, and he really drove a lot of the, um, you know, the perspective on that beer. Uh, and I think the results are really, really awesome. Pretty happy with how that turned out. Remind me what size brew house do you have? So our setup is unique. It's a 15 barrel, but it's three vessels. Um, and we have, uh, two 30 barrel fermenters and i think is it seven 45s so we do a lot of uh double and triple batches into you know single fermenter so you make a lot of beer <laughs> we make a we yeah. for our footprint it's deceptive how much beer we can make um we we and and i think that was a big part of you know uh christian spent and an enormous amount of time planning basically future expansion before we were even open because we knew that we were going to be shoehorning a brewery into an otherwise kind of awkward space. Um, so even, even though we opened with only, you know, uh, four tanks and four fermenters and one, right. We, we already had a pretty good idea of where exactly where everything else would go in the future. Yeah. Cause anyone unaware, um, Silver Branch is not located in your normal industrial park that a, a lot of breweries find themselves in or old warehouse space or a, typically a brewery looks for the cheapest real estate um, they can find. Silver Branch decided that was a stupid idea and <laughs> they they went for going smack dab in the silver silver springs at the um inside of uh office building or a high that's a i mean that's tall enough to be considered a high rise right it's a i forget who asked me this question recently um yeah I, I don't know what it is i guess it's like 10 or 12 stories above us or 10 or 12 floors rather and then the building opposite is like maybe 15 to 18 so it's a pretty pretty huge office building yeah it's not um, um it's not a building you would look at and think, oh yeah, there's a production brewery in there. Yeah, it's a it's we sit on top of um, the brew house itself where we had to reinforce the floor is a directly on top of like a Sandy Spring Bank and a Dunkin' Donuts and <laughs> yeah, it's wild. So it's I I know I think you have more signage now. 
Um, but the first time I went there, I walked past it multiple times because I think you'd only you'd been actually you didn't even have your grand opening yet, I believe, when I went there. Like I walked back and forth, and this partially attributes to me just being an idiot. Um, like around the building, back and forth multiple times before I realized that it was actually inside that building. Well, it's you know it's a fascinating um, thing from a like a real estate kind of land perspective because it's it's basically I don't it's it's pretty much on top of the metro. I mean, you're talking about yeah. from our front door to the entrance to the metro in Silver Spring. It's maybe a hundred yards, um, but it's sort of in an awkward space. And I think that's where we benefited and we were like, okay, it's awkward enough that um, it would be hard to envision us wanting to open a different kind of business, but opening a brewery right here has just, a, breweries have just enough gravitational pull to make a space that might not work for like maybe a normal restaurant work really well for a brewery. And I think that's kind of what we were thinking. Well, I, mean, I think a lot of breweries have proven that people drive to anywhere to visit a brewery. Yes. And if that, there's ever, if there's ever a second silver branch location, it'll be a big uh, concrete box with the tables outside <laughs> and, and people will just come drink. And now you have that nice little cluster right in that area to help even bring like make it more of a destination to go to than even just visiting one place. Yeah. I'm uh, you know, it's, it's so funny because I I'm such a future thinker myself and I always get hung up on um, you know, what things could, could be, which COVID is the antithesis of that. It's like, what are you going to do right now? Yeah. Um, How are you going to survive but- for the next five hours? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, that's the name of the game. But like, I'm still. Oh I'm, wait, I'm sorry. Like, the rules changed. Figure it out again. <laughs> but I'm still sitting over here dreaming, and I'm like, and once they get that purple line in, and then you know, I'm like already, I'm like, I'm like, I need to like keep my keep my sights set on today. But I'm like staring five years into the future, going like, well, that'll be cool. There'll be a lot of traffic. I wonder if you know, like, I'm thinking like. I wonder if people from College Park are going to come to Silver Spring as a going out destination. If you, because if you look at the kind of the map for like, you know, uh, what the Purple Line is supposed to be, um, I could totally see that. Yeah, and it, there's enough in that downtown area that that it could draw people. I think so. You have that theater, the plenty of restaurants, breweries, Fillmore, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, f- I forgot about the Fillmore. Um, but there's a... Well, I can't remember. What's the name of the play? The, the one theater there. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, but let, let's take a real quick sponsor break. And then we get back. Um, I want to talk about Delusional Optimist 2 a little bit. Because this is a great beer. Uh, but we will be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. 
Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, Mom's Spaghetti Dinner Battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So speaking of non-traditional styles, although I guess at this point, can you really consider a hazy IPA non-traditional? Like it's it's so ubiquitous ubiquitous that uh, like it's not like it's some rare style anymore, or and it's been around long enough that it's not new. Um, I think I think the canon has officially accepted uh, all 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 takes and variants on on uh, hazy IPA as a as a thing for real. Um, but so f- first, this beer is phenomenal, tastes great. Uh, but the can is really cool. I I didn't look at it closely until just a little bit ago to notice all the things floating around the person's head. We have the coronavirus, a dollar sign with a question mark, um, the hand sanitizer, I'm guessing that's a delivery truck. Yep. Stock market crashing. <laughs> so, uh, masks. So I'm guessing that this is that you're optimistic that this will go away and life will return. So the whole concept, so in order to understand Delusional Optimist 2, you got to go back to um, the original Delusional Optimist. And uh, it's become a bit of a, um, it's it's become a bit of an inside joke where, uh, you know, I'm sometimes overly optimistic with respect to how long things take or how much manpower so I might like look at like two pallets of beer and be like, oh, yeah, we'll just we can move out real quick. <laughs> people are like, uh, no, that's going to take a little more work or it's going to take a little longer than you expected. Um, but I think it also just speaks to, uh, you know, this kind of. I don't know, I think there's just this it's it, it almost it's like no matter what challenges kind of come your way or whatever happens, you know, you just you forge ahead and. And you just keep keep looking ahead to the next thing and keep moving forward. And that's kind of where the original concept um, for Delusional Optimist came from. And then, so um, what, what's on that label? I can't tell because at one, I think my people aren't very bright, so it's hard to find a picture of it because everyone's checking into Delusional Optimist with Delusional Optimist too. Oh, um, wait, there we go. I found it. So it's like newspapers. It's, it's, uh, it's less, it's less coronavirus related or less COVID related, but it's, uh, it's, it's still a lot of the important things to me in my life. So my dogs are featured on that label. My, uh, my fiance is on both of them. And it's kind of, I was wondering if like that, the, you can't really tell on, uh, two cause there's the mask. 
uh, but I just found the one for the first one, and it it looks it, it's enough of a, a similarity that that I was wondering if that was her. And I think really it's partially because um, I'm definitely a chaotic operator, in that uh, like the number of like conversations going at the same time and the things rolling around in my head and trying to like, uh, you know, it's sort of like whenever we build something cool or whenever we have a fun event or whatever, I'm already like thinking about the next one, you know? And I think when you're, when you're in that mode, you're just, there's a lot (laughs) just sort of swirling around your head. 24 seven. So that was, that was part of it too. It was kind of like a, you know, a, a, a joke internally, like of just the amount of things that I'm trying to process at the same time. So who, um, who's doing the label artwork? Um, his name is, uh, Chris Bonnell. He's a good friend of, um, the brewery, uh, at, like he's friends with a lot of us there. Um, and, He's, he's a, he's a killer artist. Yeah. Um, they're really cool. Thank you. Yeah. He's, um, I think the, I think what's been cool for me to see is, um, you know, we, it's been a very sort of like progressive approach. And I think that's something that we embrace a lot of at Silver Branch is just this sort of progressive nature of everything in terms of, you know, moving it forward and improving as you move it forward. And, um, he's always been a great artist. And now he's really gotten into the details of learning how to play with foils and highlights and make everything pop. And uh, I think it's really starting to show in a lot of our artwork um, in terms of just even how it looks from like a distance on the shelf. I'm looking forward to trying um, Lord Squeegee. Mm. That one sounds really I said really that good. just for you. Yeah. I knew that would be in your, your wheelhouse. <laughs> I wanted to make sure you got that one. That's yeah. your uh, that's your cup of beer. Cup yeah, definitely, definitely is. And what was the other one? Um, it was Eternal Op- Optimus. Is that mm-hmm. I almost grabbed that to drink, and then I noticed the triple um, <laughs> listed on. It. I was like, ah, I don't think I want to drink a triple IPA at three p.m. when I have a bunch of stuff to do the rest of the day. So we're gonna we're gonna save that to. Um, to a drink at a late later in the day but that the, that also uh, is a really cool label thank you yeah the the primary featured figure in that one is uh our marketing manager aaron young and uh if you've if you ever have the pleasure of meeting her in the future when we start having events and stuff again she is basically a ray of sunshine and uh just super fun to be around and um you know yeah really really awesome and so Hers is, uh, hers is, uh, has a lot more, you know, sunshine and rainbows. And so it's, uh, it's a really good beer. I'm happy with that one too. I also loved the high time cans. Did you get to the bottom of the $32 four pack? We did. We did. <laughs> I, uh, I'm thankful that, um, Brendan from True Respite texted me at like 8:30 that night. It was like, Hey dude, you might want to get on. Um, Maryland beer drinkers and check this out and uh we were able to sort through it and I I don't I I, thankfully I don't think there were any bad actors in this I think it was just an honest mistake and everybody was happy in the end 
because I definitely, you know, we, we, we want people to love our beer and we want to charge what's a fair price. Um, but we would never want to go, you know, way, way over. Um, and, and the, the, the store that was mentioned they're they're a great store. Honestly, we love working with them. So then that's why in my, in my responses, I was like, uh, let's look into this cause this doesn't seem right. They don't, yeah. you know, all of our other beers that we've ever sold there, they've priced right. And so I think it was just an honest mistake in the end. Um, one thing I love about so many brewery owners being in um, the Maryland Beer Drinkers Group is that it's often kind of like a master's class on how customer service is done. There, there are so many of you all that, like, someone will post something that probably a lot of times an owner just wants to reply with to go f yourself. Um but then always handle it with such grace and just an example of amazing customer service. It's it's kind of a nice thing to see all the time. Thanks. Yeah. I, um, you know, I think it's definitely baked into our entire ethos at Silver Branch. You know, I think is Gamulikai is, you know, absolutely comes with hospitality and service and just, I don't know, just being friendly to people in the end. I mean, you know, I think um, I always look at like when there's an is, an issue or an in, instance where something comes up like that, there's more to the story than whatever's being seen at first pass, you know, and you just have to be patient enough to figure out what's going on and then help, help navigate, you know, and, and not build up too many assumptions in the process and just go, okay, recognize something's something's missed but we're just we're gonna work through it and figure out and go from there you have a big mixture of 16 ounce cans and 12 ounce cans how do you decide what's going into which size can well that's a that's a big question um (laughs) because there's a lot um Right now, we don't have to force much of that decision because we are pretty much only able to get a hair more than our <laughs> necessary amount to fulfill our flagships with the 12 ounce. So immediately, like during this time, there's really not much in the way of options. It's kind of like it's if it's anything other than a flagship, it's pretty much got to be 16 ounce. That being said, um, we definitely have some brands that are slated for this year that are probably going to be 12 ounce that are not flagship brands. I, you know, I used to think there was a a set of rules for how we did this. Like we were like, oh, more traditional would be 12 ounce versus certain other beers would be 16 ounce. But we actually find that some beers we would prefer to have in 16 ounce. So like this week we're releasing um, Vespucci Connection Volume Number Two, which is our uh, sort of dry hopped pilsner, or some people refer to them as like an Italian pilsner. Um, and when you really open that beer up, you don't want to just drink twelve ounces. It's like highly drinkable. It's you know five percent, 
Um, and it's like that artwork is the most intricate label that I think we've ever done, but it's also my, one of my favorite ones to look at. And so I think, you know, a 16 ounce can definitely offers a bigger canvas for whatever it is that you want to say. Um, so there's a rhyme and a reason, but right now there's not because it's like, uh, okay, if it's not a flagship, it's probably going into a 16 ounce can with rare exception. Just, just due to uh, size. Just due to just due to like canning shortage yeah. problems. Really. I mean, not sorry, just... not size availability is what what I'm. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's like you know, and 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 the thing is, is we're very fortunate to have grown. Um, a pretty considerable amount in our wholesale operation this year. And so a lot more of what we spend our time doing, like our um, head brewer, Chris spends a lot of time working on the schedule and making sure that we have the things when we need them at, at the time we need them. Um, and it's been, it's been hard to plan and predict a lot this year. It's uh, there's just been a lot of, uncertainty around when and how to get cans which is in the worst timing ever considering that uh the vat well, especially montgomery county um so 100 percent of your sales at times have to be in cans yeah um let's take uh another real quick sponsor break and when we get back there's a couple other beers i just want the story behind the name and the artwork because a lot of your beers just have really cool artwork and cool names so we will be right back there are many reasons why i've chosen district east for where i purchase beer i love the flexibility of being able to make a custom six-pack or take home a crowler from one of the eight beers on tap the friendly and knowledgeable staff do an amazing job at keeping a diverse selection on hand you can even purchase artwork from the monthly featured artist District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beer lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to mcclintockdistilling.com for more information. Unicycle Vigilante. Um, super cool looking label. Um, what, what's the meaning behind that? Who, who at the brewery rides a unicycle? 
So there's a uh, there's a regular of ours um, that is a, a regular both at Silver Branch and um, in Astrolab, and his name is uh, uh, Dave, and um, he is a uh, motorized unicycle enthusiast. Forgive me, Dave, if I, I'm not naming this uh, contraption properly. Um, but yeah, he's just like literally like one of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And there was this um, this story where I guess, um, you know, somebody, uh, it, it actually happened at Astrolab, but somebody had um, tried to steal a wallet from uh one of the owners at Astrolab and he pretty much chased him down and got the wallet back wow. on his unicycle. And so <laughs> we, uh, he's sort of in the local silver spring lore. He's, uh, he's turned himself into a hero and he would never seek that kind of acknowledgement, which is exactly why we did it. Um, you know, because he just, he just was like, you know, another day, another day on the unicycle. And, uh, <laughs> And and we were like, um, yeah, no, this he's he's just been he's just been one of those people that really just being around him makes you feel happier. Um, so we wanted to send him some love and acknowledge that for sure. So that that is him on the can as a as a superhero version yeah. of himself. That's awesome. That is that's a much better story than what I had in my head. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what really what I had in my head, but like that's just an amazing story. <laughs> he is a true yeah. unicycle vigilante. <laughs> hey, the name fits. The name fits. Oh, how has that story's never been posted, right? Or was I it? I forget what the it's on the side of the can, but I forget. Um, okay. I, oh no, it is. It, here it is we... on Facebook. Yeah, it lists the wallet historians. There's a lot of words, which often when I'm scrolling, I don't <laughs> like words and I like the pictures. Um, That's all right. We're, we're going to start putting QR codes on our cans. So then you can go to videos to just. Are you really doing that? Cause that would be amazing. Yeah, we're, we're doing that with, um, we're going to do that with our uh, nitro chronicle. And uh, we're going to do that with Quantum Shift. Um, and then depending on how that goes, we'll continue to explore that as a marketing avenue. So basically, like, in the next couple weeks, um, uh, depending on when we get the labels in and the timing of when the beer is set to release, um, our flagship chronicle, we basically have officially retired. And then it will be reborn as Nitro Chronicle. Um, and I think we're set to release that in about like four to six weeks. And so you'll get the can, it'll be a 12 ounce can, but there'll be a QR code. And if you click the QR code, it'll take you to the website and you'll get to check out a video of us talking about it, pouring it, showing people how hard to shake it. That's really cool. There, yeah. There's a brewery up in Pittsburgh called Grist House that has QR codes on all of their cans, but it just takes you to the webpage for that beer that gives you tasting notes and all the information about it. So it's kind of, it's really cool adding in that video aspect, taking you to it, especially for lazy yeah. people like me who don't want to read. Well, and we were kind of thinking about, we were like, okay, um, we don't want to like, 
you know, we want somebody to arrive at a piece of information that we're, we term it like sort of like rich content, you know, where it's like, it's like immersive. So there'll be text and there'll be imagery on the page, but the first thing that you're going to get hit with is this video of us describing exactly what it is. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. I mean, you know, uh, as an aside, I, I'm clearly, I'm a big believer in, in QR codes finally having their moment in a way that they definitely had some struggles to get over. I but think, now they... I think early on people tried too hard to make them happen when it didn't make sense. And I think now like it's going to be a struggle to get them adopted because so many people wrote them off myself included because the way they were being used, the having to have a special app and everything um, made them useless. Like five years ago is probably when like there was the big push to try to make them a thing and all I kept thinking was like, stop trying to make this a thing. They're stupid. Just give me the URL. I'll type it in. Because most places were just like like five, six years ago, a QR code on a Silver Branch can would literally just have taken you to silverbranch.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like with, I don't know how Android phones are, uh, but at least with an iPhone, all you have to do is open the camera app and it recognizes QR codes and takes you to that wherever it wherever it's going to go to so it's it the full ecosystem is there for it to actually work so it it makes sense to use them now especially taking you to stuff like that so that's so awesome the, i think the, i think the two things that change the game for qr codes that have made them applicable for a wider set of marketing purposes now were the combination of um the fact that the technology supports you just hover over it with your camera open and it serves you the link, no special app. That's a big piece. Yeah. I think the other big piece is I will be so curious to see how restaurants, breweries, and other businesses handle menus moving forward. Well, so many places now that's how it is. I've been to like hysteria. That's how they have their beer menus. Now they're, it's taped to the corner of each. I, actually, I think you can even order through it. Um, it's taped to the corner of each table, and you scan that, and it brings up their menu. There's a couple other restaurants I know that are doing that too. And I think what's interesting from my perspective is like, okay, it's convenient for um, the operator. Like, if you want to change a menu item digitally, you just change it and it's set. You don't have to print 50 yeah. more menus. And if you're out of it, actually, you just cross it off now and not having to, I would like this special. Sorry, we don't have any left. Right. But I think for the end user, it's like if it were only serving the operator, then I'm not sure that it would be worth it. But for the, for the customer, like they're getting served, I think a richer, more immersive menu experience, because now if you click the QR code on the table at Silver Ranch, and you go to look at beers, you're going to see labels and the description of the beer, Yeah, you know, and it's a lot easier to let a beer nerd get not, uh, you know, one sentence is worth, I can put the full paragraph of the story behind the beer and they're able to go through it, you know, in a way that you just can't accomplish with a physical menu. So 
I'll be curious to see where this goes. I, I, we haven't decided internally what our long-term plan is, but I think you'll, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of definitely breweries and a handful of restaurants say, maybe we don't need menus. I, um, I really wish I knew how to, um, code mobile apps because today for some reason, like I just had in my head, the thought process of how to make a, um, untapped that doesn't suck. And, uh, adding this type of functionality in, uh, would be perfect. Like where if the QR code opened this fictional app and it just let you like you, the brewery enters all that information in like actually brings up the prices and the menu and everything. You could just order it through the app and it goes back into your point point of sale system. And, but alas, I'm not smart enough to do that. I think, um, what's cool about, you know, I mean, we've had so much, I, we've embraced so much technology. Um, but the counter to that is then you have to manage all of it and you have to figure out how to make it all fit together. Yeah. And fix so it when big, it inevitably breaks. And yeah. So it's a, it's a different kind of it's, but it's kind of the same thing, you know I mean? Managing uh, a, a brew house or managing a restaurant or managing, you know, you, you have stuff and it breaks. I mean, now it's just also true of technology. It's just, um, so I think that's a big, a big part of what we end up, um, your um your life before Silver Branch it was hospitality and the restaurant industry right? Yes, and my life before that was uh like you know algorithmic equities and options trading. So I, I oh, actually have right. a tech background um, as it was applied to finance. Did you um, buy Game Stock? <laughs> no, actually, uh, we don't have enough bandwidth in this conversation for me to go into it. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big advocate and believer in small business for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of which is, um, you know, in the case of Silver Branch, I have the ability to impact my own outcome even in the middle of a pandemic. And also, yeah. it's uh, there's there's a lot there. It's um, different people are working off of different sets of information and maybe that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> I, I thought, this is a rabbit hole. I never, like I, I didn't act on anything. Um, Cause historically I've made poor decisions repeatedly when it had to do with uh, when to invest and when not to invest, usually when not to invest. Um, but I, but I just found the whole story was just absolutely fascinating and it still continues to evolve and be fascinating. Yeah. As a, as a former, uh, finance person, it is absolutely fascinating to watch, but I love sitting on the sidelines and seeing what comes out of it. Yeah. I don't know that I want to be involved in that, in that particular game, you know? <laughs> and I find like. Elon Musk's involvement um, makes it even further interesting because that man seems to be like the one person in the world that has the ability to completely affect the market just by tweeting something. Yes. Like more so than even world leaders can. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's probably, you know, it, it's not that hard to understand why. I mean, his own, uh, his own personal success. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I think he's probably like in, at least in the Reddit sphere, kind of almost looked at as one of them. Like he kind of had, like he has that personality. He's like, he, he's almost one of one of the guys. Well, of course, there's always some envy amongst uh, fellow geeks for the geek that made it, right? Yeah, you know, there's uh, envy and support at the same time. So I, I do think he's he's uh, well liked amongst. I don't even remember how we got down this rabbit hole that I took us into. I don't either. Um, Take us down so, another rabbit hole, yeah. a beer rabbit hole this time. <laughs> um, so the last time I talked to you, you, a lot of your focus with the company was the tap room. Um, how, how on a personal level, how has the last year changed your focus? Oh, um, so for me personally, you know, I think I always held, even before we opened Silver Branch, this belief that I would, I would take on whatever role was most important in that moment in time and forever work to pass those responsibilities and find the next role to take on. And I think having had that mindset before all of this has really helped us as a company. And I think it's safe to say, you know, my business partner, Christian, takes a very similar approach where, you know, we 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 go where it makes the most sense to do whatever is necessary. And so we had some great people in the tap room, like our general manager, uh, Melinda, and our assistant tap room manager, um, Sophie. Like, they're both excellent at what they do. Honestly, it's at the point where, everybody will be happier and people will get their beer quicker if they're managing more so than if I was, <laughs> you know, I would just yeah. gum up the system at this point and ask, ask dumb questions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think when this all started happening, um, there were sort of two split tracks, you know, and it was wholesale operations and then e-commerce and um, you know, our sales manager, Courtney has done a great job by herself. And then we also, um, embrace working with craft coalition, um, all over this state of Maryland, including Montgomery County. Um, and her combined with them have, has really, um, not only grown it, but, um, they're pretty much running that side of the business, um, with just a little bit of insight for me. And so lately, it feels like a lot of what I've been focused on is like the website and e-commerce and um, sort of the logistics. Coming up with cool ideas for QR codes. Yes. <laughs> I come up with the QR codes. Christian creates the, uh, the creative content and now we have a team of brewers to come up with recipes and stuff. Um, and, but I think about, you know, ways to, either get beer to people or get people to pay attention to us or figuring out, you know, how to sort of connect those, those dots. Um, and so it's been an interesting year. I mean, I've definitely, for me personally, I've, I've activated a side of my brain or a part of my life that was laying pretty dormant because when you're managing a restaurant, you're not implementing a lot of technology 
some, but not, at least pre-COVID, it was not something that required too much uh, sort of technological insight. Um, whereas now with all the direct-to-consumer and kind of everything else that's going on, I mean, I basically, you know, I was I was in a text thread the other day joking that I'm going to change my title from COO to CTO because um, I feel like I'm managing technology 24-7 right now. Pre, How long were you guys open pre-COVID? Like literally one year. Like okay. we had our so you- anniversary and the following week is when the shutdowns began. So it, during that time, I imagine there were a lot of people that went through the tap room. Like, it, and I would assume, like, especially during rush hour, people dropping in. Doors. Oh, yeah. So with the shift that you're so widely distributed, um, I mean, it's pretty much anywhere in Maryland you can find your beer at this point. Will that be a problem when you're able to open back up? And because I, I would imagine pre-COVID you sold a lot of beer through your tap room, so is that going to make it where your beer is harder to get through the rest of the state, or do you have free capacity now where you would just be able to brew more to keep up with distributing and fill back in with uh, tap room, or will you have to kind of pull back on the distribution side? You're asking the big questions now. <laughs> well, uh. it's it's something that I've thought a lot about because there, there's a lot of breweries that you could not get um, outside of the brewery, but are pretty readily available now on shelves. So, like, I've, uh, that that's a big wonder in my mind that like when tap rooms reopen, what what's it going to be like in a when you go to the store to buy beer. I, I don't know. I cannot speak for anybody else. Yeah, um, obviously. I know that thankfully for us, we, we were, so we had designed our brewery to have a theoretical limit of about 7,000 barrels. Now in reality, it might be closer to somewhere between five and six. And that's yet to be seen for us. Um, pre COVID, our first 12 months of operation, I think we made just over 2000. Um, if the trends continue, we are, we basically doubled. So we're, we're making, um, about 4,000 on an annual basis. Um, I think that as we continue to grow in wholesale and the tap room comes back online and draft becomes a thing again, I definitely feel like we're going to bump up against terminal capacity, uh, which is like the full extent of what we can produce, you know, sometime in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, And what we do then will be, uh, you know, an interesting thing to look at um, from a, from a variety of angles, but, you know, we're not inclined to want to shift away or give up lines of business that we've established now. And also, you know, I've I've watched enough. um, I'm a big sort of student of history and kind of studying what others have done before. And, you know, we are already trying to take into account these types of things into our forecasting. 
so that we don't have a situation where we're um, where our demand outstrips our supply by a significant amount. But it is a you know it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think given how much we've grown and how much we continue to plan to grow, um, you know, thankfully we built out enough space and we have enough um, tank space to to go as far as we can with this current location. So we'll have to, uh, we'll just have to see what happens when we get there. You know, I think what I'm excited about is we've managed to sort of make money in other ways and that has kept our business rolling forward. I feel like when the tap room comes back online and we can start doing events, then I really feel like we're in a position to grow a lot. Um, so I think the next six to nine months are going to be really indicative of what's possible for Silver Branch in the future. So I just need to wait, you know, and I'm a big, num- a big believer in numbers and not just me, but as a company, we, we focus on this a lot with our entire management team. Um, so I think in, in six to nine months, we'll have a much better sense of how and which way we're going to approach these kinds of problems. Because yeah, I, I, th- I would imagine like another thing that plays into it too is what is going to happen at, at the stores? Is that going to shrink back as people can go back to the breweries? Or, I mean, I know there's still a lot of thought that their fear has been so ingrained in people's thoughts that there are still going to be a lot of people who aren't going to be comfortable with going and sitting in a restaurant, a bar, or a brewery for quite some time. So they'll still be buying cans to go. And Yeah, and I think that's – I'm expecting that like in our online business, for example – I expect there's going to be potentially, you know, 50, even 60% shrink um, from where we are right now to where we go to when more people are going out, more people are having experiences with beer in person. But I don't believe it's going to go away. And I think it's similar for retailers. I think maybe their sales, because they had across the board, retail had a banner year last year. Um, So I think you'll see a drop off, but I think, I don't think it will be so significant. I think in some ways, um, I think breweries as a whole, regardless of what, where they fit into distribution models, tap rooms, whatever. I think the tap rooms have an even better chance to become even more of a significant pillar in their community you know, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen for us in the spring and summer is the number of new faces that I saw during, you know, the fall last year, like people that I have never seen before was so much higher to any other time. And I think, you know, breweries are not any longer, or I like to think they're not any longer just places for people who really geek out about beer, but they're actually increasingly just awesome community gathering spots, you know? And I think that for breweries is only going to go up, but I still think a lot of people are going to buy beer at their local store. I think people are still going to 
if they got accustomed to ordering online, I think they're still going to do that. You know, I think it's going to be, everybody's going to mix it up there. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of, um, I think when it comes to like identifying consumers, we like to create neat little boxes, but I think consumers are much trickier than that. And I think beer drinkers are much trickier than that. I think it's safe to assume that the same person who might, come to Silver Branch and have a beer one weekend might say, Hey, I'm going to have a barbecue the next and order online or go to the retailer and pick up a six pack there. And, you know, I, I don't think it's an either, or I think it's yeah. some mix of everything. And I think the name of the game for us and everybody else is just sort of being there, having, having as many ways as possible for people to reach you, reach your brewery um and get to have your have your beer it um the in the past year the big guys took a really big hit in sales right um if i remember correctly like several large brands were down year over year this past year which which scale of large are we talking about are we talking about the mega large yeah yeah like anheuser yeah anheuser bush Uh, cores like i think that had if i'm and again, I'm not a professional in this. This is just me regurgitating what I've seen. I think some of that has to do with um, oh, tap sales, uh, uh, like draft sales, and yeah. also seltzer. I think okay. seltzer, seltzer in grocery stores are a big factor for the really big breweries in a way that they are, but are not for smaller breweries. And I think the the rise of seltzer. You know, I saw something like last year, it was like, you know, more than double digit growth. Um, and I think that that eats into a similar market share um, as like so, like some of your like big mass produced yeah. brands. I was just thinking like because so many craft breweries sold more beer than ever last year. So it's either everyone is drinking way more than usual, which, I mean, I think there is some truth to that, or someone's losing. And I don't, I haven't talked to a single craft brewer has, that has sold, le- that sold less beer in 2020 as they did 2019. So like I was, I was thinking like it had to have been like just the big guys were, or who lost. Chris, you talk to the best craft brewers. That's why. Well, yeah, that's too. I, I haven't, I haven't talked to any of the ones that are struggling, and <laughs> so maybe I have a skewed perspective of how people are doing. <laughs> um, yeah, there's yeah, probably someone know. listening I, I, to me right now, like just cursing me with the struggles <laughs> that they're going through right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not quite sure what you know what, uh, what could be causing that. Um, I think, you know, beer as a segment, craft or not craft, hasn't has um, relative to other alcohol, it's been pretty flat for many years now. Um, but you know, thankfully, I still see for us, you know, as a craft brewery, tons of growth potential within that space. Well, so, there, there's so many there's so many ways now to make a beverage that a beer drinker doesn't like and you have your fruited sours that aren't beer um so 
you're like the average person that doesn't like beer could potentially like a fruited sour. Uh, you have, do you, have you guys started making seltzers at all or you're not interested in that? No, I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've definitely talked about it internally and we've definitely explored that possibility. We've talked about cocktails, but you know, I think we are, our focus has and always will be beer. And as long as we're barely keeping up with our own demand and, you know, even from a forecasted perspective, um, it's, it's hard to justify doing something like that. Yeah. Um, when, you know, and I think, I, and that is the question for us over time is, you know, when, when we get to a certain size, you know, like, cause we're, we're, we're all over the state of Maryland, but we're still a hundred percent self-distributed. So we don't have a distributor anywhere. Um, so the one, the two major areas where you won't see us are the most, you know, sort of Northwestern tip that's effectively in West Virginia. And then like the Eastern shore, you probably won't see Silver Branch because logistically it's hard for us to, you know, figure out a way to get trucks to go there. But, um, yeah, it's I don't not know. a convenient Maybe. place to drive to. No. <laughs> No, you're kind of, it's weird going to the Eastern shore as much as I want to have our beer there. Um, once you're there, you're kind of landlocked. And so, you know, I think we've, we've had such success in our home market and places like Baltimore and um, Frederick and Howard County and working with the craft coalition that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that we won't be able to fulfill all of our demand just between the areas that we do go in um maryland and dc you know and i think that's not a that's not a bad place to be for a little while so you've mentioned growth and expanding and a couple times do you have a size in your head that you want silver branch to grow to or is your goal to just keep growing and growing and growing um my goal is to grow as much as i can convince uh, everybody else to go with me. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to say, um, you know, I think I've, I've, uh, it's been really stressful, but I've had a blast coming up with all these new lines of business, if I'm being honest. Um, and yeah, I think, I don't think we're in a position where we're going to reach a point anytime soon where we say, okay, enough is enough. Let's just hang out here. I think, you know, growth can be seen from two different perspectives as well um, because there's something to be said about actual growth and then there's something to be said about getting to a, a point and then being able to look inward and make everything a little bit better and make everything, you know, um, like work on procedures and processes to make everything sort of run smoother and get one step closer to making what we hope is seen as world-class beer in the end, right? And if you set your goal far enough out, you know, then you go, going along that path, you, you have a better chance of, of reaching it or getting close to it. Um, so I don't know. I don't think there's any end in sight for us. I think it's just 
the ways in which we choose to do it will be the thing that we figure out near term. Who is the guy on the Eternal Optimist can? So the the Eternal Optimist can is uh, Aaron. That's our marketing. Manager. Well, no, there's there's a guy up in the clouds. Oh, that's her. Uh, that's her fiance. Okay. Or no, sorry, husband. Um, <laughs> her husband Ryan. So he's actually a, a good friend of mine, and uh, I uh, I married them at Silver Branch. Nice. Are yeah. are you a minister in the Universal Life Church? I am. Yeah, so. I am. I am a I am a minister. <laughs> that, is, that is true. That's funny. Yeah, um, yeah uh, that that growth and like thing is something I've talked to a couple places recently, and like some people have said like there, there's a point where they they know they can reach that that's that's kind of like where they want to stay that they don't want to get any bigger than that point because they'll reach at that level they can live comfortable lives the and growing larger would pose problems so that's where that question was coming from yeah i think covid um demonstrated to me um how uncomfortable i get when things feel even remotely uh stagnant or stayed <laughs> so i have a i have like a probably the opposite problem so you just want to keep going like, i'm like i'm like I, i'm i'm good at building new stuff i'm okay at maintaining existing stuff <laughs> there's there's other people who are much better at it than i am um so yeah i, I don't know where, where we go with this i'm but i'm i i will say this i am so freaking excited on so many levels to be able to do what I felt we did so well that has just not even been a part of our business for the last year, which is to throw killer events of all kinds. Some of them are cultural and tied to the roots of like some of these more classical styles of beer. Some of them are more food centric. And, um, you know, I think one, one event that we didn't get to do last year that I'm hopeful um, there's enough capability given the current circumstances. I really, really want to have a giant barbecue festival and with a route beer. Um, but we feel the best time of year to do that would be like August. Yeah. And this year we're hopeful cautiously that we could do something like that, but we're not sure. You know, it's, we'll just have to wait and see what comes out. Yeah. Like planning that far out is so impossible to. Well, right now it is like it, like there's, there is that glimmer of hope that at that point, like enough people will be vaccinated. Hopefully enough has been done that can kind of ease back into having that type of thing. But there's still like, just if anything we've learned for sure is that, um, uncertainty is a certain <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think you know it's funny though i feel like that's always true i feel like there's random punctuated moments in life where it's seemingly more obvious to us but i feel like uncertainty is sort of ever present and part of it is just how uh how we choose to handle it you know and i think like that's and i think that's what i i love so much about as much as there's stuff that hasn't been great, 
I love so much about how the last 12 months went for us because in the midst of all of the uncertainty, we just, I think we had one move and it was hit the gas pedal harder, you know, like, like Lean it in. wasn't literally, it was just <laughs> like, well, the world's on fire. So, um, okay. Now that we know that it's on fire, like forge ahead, keep going. So um, back to the videos and QR codes you mentioned. Um, so will you do like tasting note types of things and pairing res- recommendations and like th- that type of information given for the beer? I think for the Nitro Chronicle, there's definitely a tactical element. Um, you know, it's it's funny because so we did a we did an R and D run and we did a limited run into sixteen ounce cans. And it was mostly so that we could have it be separate from our existing flagship and also give ourselves a chance to learn, um, you know, sort of the brewing technology associated with packaging nitro, making sure we're not making exploding cans, um, making Always sure a good that, goal. Yes. <laughs> making sure. Well, and also making sure that um, we like the character of the beer because yeah. there's a perception before you go into it that, hey, this beer could potentially work well in nitro. But you could also end up with a product that, for one reason or another, doesn't. Um, and I think so. We did that, and what we learned was that a lot of the nitro products that are out there say in kind of smaller letters or like a description of instructions, and it's like harder to see. And so ours is like black and red, and on the side of the can, it's like shake hard step one pour step two is pour hard step three is experience completely cut and it's huge like you cannot <laughs> miss it we're like and we don't want people to it's not like gently rotate this we want people to like know like hey grab this can get a good do everything you've ever shakes. been taught not to do <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny you know uh and this is part of the reason that we're going to this but I had Nitro Chronicle sitting in my fridge at home and I was so happy with how that beer turned out. Just being that beer on Nitro just works. And um, then we also had a coffee. I had Coffee Chronicle in my fridge and I had drank, you know, I'd been drinking Nitro Chronicle pretty much like every night for a couple of nights in a row. And then I went to go grab a coffee and I was sitting on my couch and I shook it real hard and I like looked at it and I was like, oh my God, that would have been so, <laughs> so bad. Um, cause if I remember correct, you're a Cicerone, right? Yes. What, which, uh, that's the second level, right? Oh, three. Wow. You're the, 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 I don't know if this is true anymore, but at least at the time, uh, there was me and one other dude who, um, his name is Mike Reinitz. He works at, uh, a premium in DC, but I think he works for actually the, the national, uh, group and uh, yeah, got into the Cicero program a while ago. I think that's accurate because the last time I looked, there weren't there weren't many there aren't many like what what's the second level um, uh, certified. There are there aren't many certified in Maryland either. So anytime I want to do any kind of content where I need a Cicerone, you you can be my go to. Yes. Assuming that I'm not trying to fill the role of COO and CTO at the same <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, as if you have all kinds of free time to just 
drop things for a whim of a stupid video that I would want to make. <laughs> hey, hey, look, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we're getting to talk. I'm getting to open beer at three thirty, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, that can't be interrupted. That's the whole reason I do this. Like, it's a perfect <laughs> excuse. Like, well, before when they were in person, I always shot to do them at lunchtime. It's uh, gave me an excuse to drink a beer at lunch. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. what are you drinking? Right now, I'm drinking. Uh, oh wait, I gotta go. There. Train to Midnight, which is our Baltic border. Nice. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 pretty happy with this. I mean, you know, I think what what's fascinating is um, I I personally love lager um, and have always loved lagers, and I just I think the eminent drinkability that comes with a lager is just. It, it suits me so unbelievably well. And I've had a blast like uh, with making everything that we make, but um, you know, a lot of these classic uh, and, and I think what, what's interesting too, is I think, you know, if I'm going to go on a bit of a, um, I don't know, a tangent here, but I think there's a tendency to think of traditional beers and then think, Oh, it's traditional. So then the branding should look traditional and the branding should be traditional. And um, I think we fundamentally disagree with that um, because the branding should be cool and it should be super fun. And, you know, maybe I, you know, maybe we we're fortunate that somebody sees like a label like this and a name like this, that's like pretty cool. And it's like, purplish and black and green and they're like whoa what is that baltic quarter um you know and then they give it a shot and uh so i i I think that's one of the reasons that we have had success with with some of our more traditional styles because we don't we treat them as as equals to hazy ipa or as equals to adjunct stouts we do it all and in our mind they're all equally cool just for different you know reasons and different um preferences but something like this like a dark lager this is i love these beers we i mean we did our uh we did our um tamame special obsidian castle back in the like late fall early winter we're doing this we're even we've been so happy with how our dark lagers have been turning out you know um christian floated the idea of doing like a um, Schwartz beer the other day, which I think would be a super fun one. So, yeah, I uh, I like having having the variety. That's for sure. Do you have a favorite style? Um, I really love Pilsner, um, and actually saison. So I think like the the. Uh, the two beers that we have, well, one is a family of beers, all the known beers. I've, I'm so happy with that we've gone that direction. And we were very fortunate um, to win an award this year at GABF. We got a gold for the Beyond the Known World Saison. I forgot about that. Congratulations. I do remember Thank seeing you. that now. Yeah. That's, a, I mean, that, that's not uh, um, a small feat. That's a pretty, pretty big deal. Yeah, on a big, big, big congrats to the entire brewing team. Um, but, you know, so, and I think that's, you know, a lot of people say, 
uh, oh, if you're going to make Cezanne, that's commercial suicide, right? Like from a sales perspective. But I don't know. That's not true at Silver Branch. Like we've managed to, <laughs> people like the gnomes. And I think, and I think that's a big part of it too, is like the gnomes are really compelling from a branding perspective. So they get people to say, hey, maybe I do want to try this beer. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I think Cezanne's um, have been always a favorite of mine and Pilsner's like Vespucci Connection, both the first one and the one that we're getting ready to release, um, you know, are stylistically so different than our flagship Pilsner, which is Glass Castle, because um, that's a much sort of like richer, fuller bodied, um, you know, Czech Pilsner and Vespucci is much more sort of light and dry hopped and um I don't know. I've been, I've been really at the end of the day, like for me, those are going to be my favorite beers. Cause I can drink the most of them and yeah. I love drinking beer, you know, like that's it. So yeah. like, it's like, I love tasting other stuff too. Don't get me wrong. Like, but I can, you know, I like if you just want to so sit much. down and have several beers while watching a game or just sitting around talking with friends, a Pilsner is one you want to grab because you're not going to be downing a six pack of fruited sours or hazy IPAs unless you want to consume a week's worth of calories. Uh, and, and your stomach's also going to be very upset with you, but yeah. Yeah. But that's the one thing with, with the sours is, uh, you can definitely get the, the kind of the, the, the heartburn going yeah. after a while, but a well-made Pilsner just, goes down easy and there's there's next to no ill effects <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's that's where my my um and i think and i think what what's interesting about that is i think it can be perceived as like oh well that's uh you know i don't want to say boring but like oh that's not that exciting but i sort of see it i i um i see it as like finding that sort of like that spectacular character of an amazing Pilsner that is so nuanced. It's almost like you can't even exactly describe what makes it so good, but it's that ultimately satisfying feeling that you have afterwards where you're like, it's just like amazing um, pasta, right? It's just like pasta so simple. Yeah. But if you like, if, if, and I'm just talking about the pasta itself, not even the yeah, sauce yeah. that you go with it, but if you get a good, like, you know, handmade pasta, you're like, wow, like the texture, it's like getting down to these like levels of granularity of like very tiny differences are making it. But I like how you put that, like where it is, it is very hard to verbalize and quantify why it's better or why it tastes so good. And like, at least for me, it would always just be like, I don't know. It tastes really good. It's better. <laughs> and, and, and I think, and that's the funny thing is, you know, all this, all this studying and learning how to talk about these things still at the end of the day, there's a certain, there's like this, there's the sip quality and like what you perceive in a beer as a sip. And then there's like, you know, three quarters of a glass quality. And that's the one that nobody ever judges officially. Uh, but socially and in conversation with people it's how do you feel at the end of like half or three quarters of a full glass you know and i think that's why i like um lagers so much so a lot of your cans have 
people on them uh, or people's faces how do i get my face onto a silver branch can <laughs> since that um is what i'm known for getting people to do that's, that's your thing <laughs> yeah um i'll i'll you know what i'll send it up the uh i'll send it up <laughs> the bowl to the uh to the higher ups oh wait <laughs> uh, um i don't know we'll uh we'll 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 see. Maybe, uh, maybe we're we're in the throes of summer and we're at like peak sour season. Maybe we can work out a uh, squeegee can man cameo or something. I I would be down for that. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll 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 flag the team and let them know that you've uh, you've officially put in your request. Hey, there's some idiot up in Frederick that <laughs> that tries to convince breweries to put his face on cans, and he's nagging me now. So. <laughs> And and now he's saying that we have to make a full color printed glass on top of it. Yes, <laughs> but you can save on shipping by going and picking them up yourself. <laughs> Actually, I've, done, I've literally I I personally have done that like many times, driven up to ACS and just grab the grab the glasses. Which is like one of the beauties of uh, yeah, you go drop off your beer in Baltimore and pick up your glassware to bring home. There you go. I was trying to like look and find the listing of like advanced Cicerones in Maryland, but they're not making it easy to find that anymore. So I've given up. Uh, they don't. the The directory doesn't work the same way that it used to. I, I thought there was a way to just do it by state, but I thought so. Oh wait, there see, it I'm is. Gonna... It finally loaded. Yep. Just uh, you and Michael Rein Reinitz. Yep. Both in Silver Spring. So Silver Spring has one hundred percent of. <laughs> <laughs> Silver Spring is overweight in uh, in beer nerds. <laughs> and we we have no master cicerones. Oh God! Someday, someday. Is that a goal? Absolutely. Lifetime, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I I I took the master cicerone exam, and it was a um, I'll call it a positively humbling experience. <laughs> um, in just terms of the breadth of knowledge that you have to have, and the the know how, and and just familiarity with just so many different facets of the beer industry. Um, you know, and I I uh, I look forward to doing that one day. Um, I think. I probably, especially if we uh, if we keep up with the uh, the sort of the growth nature of Silver Branch to date, I'll probably have my hands full for a couple more years before I can carve out the time. I think the biggest difference is is when you study for the Master Cicerone. I've since come to learn that even if you're doing this for a living at a very high level for a day to day basis, you still need to allocate. 25 hours of study time per week for about 10 to 12 months leading up to the exam. And I won't do it when it comes at the expense of, you know, my business or my personal life. Um, So it probably will be a couple of years before I can get back on the study train. I mean, Uh, there's, there's 16 in the entire country if if i take it a second time i will not want to take it a third time 
So if I'm going to take it a second time, I'm going to make damn sure I can do everything in my power to make sure I don't have to take it a third time. Wow. There's only 19 worldwide. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, It's also crazy that one of them's in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. That is a tiny place. <laughs> yeah. Um. How, oh, how close were you to passing when you took it? Um, so I, uh, when I took it, I did pretty well on some of the theoretical stuff. I did well on one of my in-person draft exams. I did not do so well on my other one, which was weird because I've learned a lot about draft beer. Like at one point I even had my own draft beer, you know, line cleaning and maintenance and construction company that I was running on the side. Um, so I think I just kind of had like, like performance fear and just sort of froze up in the yeah. moment. Um, but I think in the end I got a 73 and you need an 85 to pass the master. Uh, but where I tanked was on the tasting and a big part of it is you have to be really incredible at identifying off flavors so you have to blindly pick out you can't just say like "Ooh, this tastes off you have to go oh this tastes off and i'm perceiving like name that compound specifically like diacetyl uh, or uh d dm whatever that other off flavor is dms yeah DM, uh, there it is so there's so to put it into context for the certified cicerone you have to study five and be able to identify them it's like five or six maybe when you go to the advanced level you're working with a set of 14 to 16 that you need to be able to identify blindly when you go to the advanced to the master level there are uh it's somewhere between like 24 or 30 flavors that you have to be able to pick out in sub perception level uh that was going to be my next that was going to be my next question was like how how apparent is it too because like me personally i'm not sensitive to diacetyl it a beer has to be really bad for me to uh detect it so I there's I'm I'm convinced my palate I would like besides all the other vast knowledge that you have to have that would exclude me from being a master cicerone like just that alone would make it so there's no way that I would ever pass. It depends. I mean, it's 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 really I look at it as like, you know, the way that you get through the exam is deductive reasoning um and um some everybody has varying sensibilities or sensitivities to various things. So like my I'm sensibilities are bad too. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty sensitive to diacetyl, but like DMS, the one that people describe as like cocoon or cabbage or stuff like that. I don't, I don't perceive it. And I literally think it's because before I was uh, 100% of legal drinking age, I probably spent a good amount of time drinking beers that were DMS bombs, like, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so I think I probably just naturally desensitized myself. So there's off flavors that are 
all like very hard for me to pick out. Uh, like I just know that I'm not going to pick up on them. So what what other types of things do you have to know and do for that test? Food is a big one. Oh, like the uh, what pair like the contrasting and enhancing flavors and you have to like I would describe it as like you have to have um an understanding of how to fit beer with food, but you actually just have to start with an understanding about food. Okay. Um and like different types of cuisine and different common dishes. And, you know, like it, it helps. I was fortunate. I think what the Cicerone program does is it shows you all of your weak spots. So based on your professional background or your experience with beer, it will highlight to you what you need to study. So for me, having worked in some pretty nice restaurants and just been generally sort of um, interested in food without even realizing it kind of like my whole life, I think I've always sort of had that rolling kind of knowledge or stuff in the background. So I didn't personally feel like I had to study up as much on the food side of it. Um, but some people absolutely would have to spend a lot of time learning about food and then food with beer. Um, you know, but like for me, like the, uh, the tasting was one thing that I would have to work on to get to that level. And then the other one was, um, you know, like I was a home brewer and then I helped out in a production brewery or not a production brewery, a brew pub. Um, but I haven't spent as much time really, um, working in a production environment. And I think at that time, I think my perception has changed a lot because after opening Silver Branch, I've gotten to learn a lot more. But at that time, I think that might have been a little bit about where my weak spot was. Okay. Well, I wish you the best of luck because <laughs> you know, it would be cool to say that I know a, I know a master Someday. Cicerone. <laughs> Someday. We gotta we gotta see how like the next couple of years go. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sign myself up for that yeah. anytime soon. I, I now that I know what it takes. I also know that I'm not going to like set myself up for failure. Yeah. And I, I think uh, your thought process of focusing on silver branch over a piece of paper that really would do nothing for you in your ownership of silver branch <laughs> probably uh, is the better decision of where to focus your time and energy. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, and I think going for something like the master Cicerone, I think certainly sure there's some, you know, commercial benefit, um, to some extent, but when you, you know, have been fortunate, I feel so incredibly lucky to have been able to open Silver Branch, um, that, you know, I, I, the reason that I'm doing it, if I ever did it would be for myself, you know, it'd be for me to just say, this is something I wanted to do. And I did it, you know, I don't, I don't know how much there's like to be gained from it. Um, someone told me you're also super into coffee. Is that accurate? Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, draw a lot of similarities between coffee and beer or is it just another passion of yours? Um, yeah. So actually I think, 
So I'm a big believer that learning about one type of beverage actually informs a lot about other beverages because then you start understanding. Um, I, I would say it like with coffee. I think the two that the, the two that I lead with are probably beer and then coffee. And then immediately behind it, it's like cocktails and liquor. And then sort of my, the one that I know that I know the least about is wine. Um, but I love all, all four of them um, as just general beverage categories. Um, as I just yeah, got done telling the um, people from the Maryland Wine Association that I had in this week's episode, I don't care about wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's mainly just like I, I, I've never... I've never really had any interest in drinking it. So it wasn't like I've, I probably just haven't found the types of wine that I like. Here's the thing. I love wine, but of, for me personally, of the four drinks, it is the most occasional and the one that I do with like a very specific purpose. So like, I don't, you know, like I, I don't, I definitely, I don't drink wine probably even weekly. It, it actually is, it depends on, you know, like I love tasting wines. Like in a, I've gotten, I'm fortunate that I've gotten to sit in, in on okay. so many compelling tastings with people who actually know what they're talking about. I can just kind of observe. Um, but yeah, it's definitely the thing that I drink the least of. I don't think I could even say I drink wine annually. <laughs> <laughs> so is, um, coffee something you could ever see silver branch getting into because there are there's a few breweries that have um started doing their own line of coffees also so we um yeah if if there were anything i think the the most the the it if there were so we had actually created a a coffee shop within silver branch pre-covid and we called it black and silver coffee company Oh, nice. Um, I, I, and we were, I, I don't know how we I were, missed that. <laughs> well, it was very under the radar because we oh, okay. were testing it. And then I think we actually really started it in earnest at the end of 2019. So we, we didn't even have enough time to really breathe any life into it. And then COVID happened and we were like with no office tenants above us and none of that stuff. We, it didn't make sense for us to foray into the coffee business at that yeah. time. It was sort of scrap that retool but um actually this is what i started the uh this is coffee chronicle this is what i started the call with and then we recently did vanilla latte but nice yeah i um i think i have one of those right i I believe so yeah yeah i i have the coffee itch for sure like i would love it if we could start with opening up for coffee service in the morning when it makes sense. I don't know when that is. I'd love to go back to that. Um, and yeah, Christian and I have definitely talked about the possibility of a coffee roastery at some point in the future of the silver branch universe, but you know, we'll, we'll no promises, just pipe dreams for now. What are your thoughts on flavored coffees? So like there's, there's a few, popular brands of coffee beans that are have somewhat outlandish sometimes um like 
and I don't, I'm, I'm assuming they're just using extracts or something to soak them in or something, uh, different flavors. What are your thoughts on those? Uh, Green Mountain Hazelnut is absolutely one of my favorites. <laughs> so specifically, um, I'm thinking like Bones, because Bones makes the outlandish flavors. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you like I mean, that type of stuff, or do you think that is a bastardization of coffee? I Look, I want you to recognize something. I'm the guy that will go through great lengths to make myself a pour-over at home that is like, you know, aged to a certain date. Like literally I like, I'm tracking how much, uh, how many days after roast the coffee is to determine how much to actually grind and put into this cup of pour over. (laughs) But, but I'm the same guy that will go to Starbucks and get like a nitro cold brew with Uh the, the dark chocolate almond foam. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, have so, you have you had the? I'm, the, like, um, I'm like I'm like I'm everywhere. Yeah. Like, have you had no, the Irish cream one? I have not. The Irish cream cold brew one. cold foam is good. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know. I mean, I think like the flavored beans. I'm like I'm not quite as excited, but I'm yeah. not opposed to adding crazy flavor to coffee. Like I think that's. I think that's part of the nature of it. And I, I look at it the same way that I look at beer. I don't care unless it's just pure gimmick. Even then pure gimmick, I don't care either. I like I just like things that are fun. And yeah. and if you if you throw in a cool looking stupid label, I'm gonna be fall for it even more. <laughs> yeah, I mean Wow, it's funny because I I didn't even realize how uh, how intense the coffee was until this conversation. I but love I, coffee. Uh, it, I've often said if if gun to my head, pick one beverage that you give up on, coffee or beer. I it would be easy for me to give up beer. <laughs> like I just I love. I mean, well, one like I'm addicted to coffee, but I'm not a like a, I'm not addicted to beer. Um, so that 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 weighs into it also uh but i just i love i start every day with multiple shots of espresso oh yeah and see that's the thing too though there's like in in my mind there's like there's um there's like coffee and then there's like espresso and everything that comes with it and then there's like coffee shop culture and all of those things are related but they're like somewhat separate at the same time and i think that's you know like I have the same the same thing that we create with Silver Branch where we say, you know, experience completely kite. I think coffee shops lend themselves to that similar ethos of, you know, sort of community and, and yeah. Oh well, yeah, without a, just conversation and, and then people have their coffee shop just like people have their brewery and it's it's oh, yeah. there's a lot of cross section in those cultures. Yeah. I never realized how like complicated coffee can be. So like, I have a friend who whenever he does something, he does it to the max. Mm-hmm. So he got into coffee. He bought, I think it was like a $3,000 espresso machine and then, then learned everything about making coffee like the different pressures the temperatures the grind like and started explaining it all to me and i was like i don't know i have a i have espresso machine that i 
pour a bunch of beans in the top and I hit a button and it just does everything. <laughs> like I, I can appreciate the end product, but I've not put the effort into learning all the, the knowledge that you can have about coffee and the making of the proper way to make coffee. Well, I think what's fascinating is like, you know, beer you're making on one time scale. And that's like, you know, we'll say by and large, that's weeks, obviously certain circumstances, it goes a lot longer. Um, Like wine, you know, whiskey, uh, the same or greater in terms of, well, in the case of whiskey, absolutely greater in terms of time scale. Coffee is very like a la minute, you know, it's like once you're, if you're talking about the barista working with the finished product after it like post roast, you know, and it's like had enough time to mellow, like you're like making the drink and like tiny fractional little adjustments have way outsized implications when you're pulling a shot of espresso. And I think for me, that stuff is fascinating. Yeah. I I find it fascinating. I just, when he started telling me all that and like, like showed me all the settings you have to set on this, espresso machine and all this stuff i was like that's way too much for early in the morning when i just want to <laughs> i just want some shots of espresso <laughs> yeah well i think i think there's like it's similar to like you were getting at this with beer i think with coffee and with beer i think there's um you have uh different sort of modes or you know different kind of like uh you know, mindset, depending on what circumstance you're in. Like if you're just trying to wake up, maybe it's just a a good old cup of coffee is doing exactly what it is supposed to do. You know, I, um, but I've, I've had, um, what's the vigil vigilante coffee, I think is who I've had on before. And like what they taught me about coffee roasting and everything was amazing. And I, like, it's always been kind of a goal to learn more about it and like maybe even expand covering coffee a little bit more, but then I don't know, life gets in the way of doing that. So I don't, Hey, if I, I would, I would encourage you to, to go down that road because honestly, like it's, uh, the, they're totally different, but they're like, if you love beer, like you, like you love, like there's space for you to figure out a way to approach coffee from yeah. a similar level of Especially because they meld so well together. Like there's, there's, there's so, there's so many similarities and aspects that they, they tie into each other. I have uh, I have coffee beans and barley tattooed on my arm. So oh, nice. That, that tells you how close together they are for me. So, so the the um you being in the coffee was one thousand percent correct. Oh yeah, yeah, it's been been a long time. Like I think like if I ever decided to go the entrepreneurial route, like that's the type of business I think I would want to own, like a coffee roaster and cafe. Yeah, it's it's a fun line of business. It's definitely, you know, I think we 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 would. If we had more space, I mean, I think we're uh, we're realizing that we we probably don't have space to roast anything anytime soon. Yeah, um, but you never know. You never know. But it sure would make the place smell good. <laughs> yeah, it would. <laughs> All right, Brett. I am starting to get text messages from my wife about when I'm going to be done because uh, I'm supposed to cook dinner tonight, and I'm guessing my kids are currently complaining about being hungry. 
Uh, so sorry to cut us short. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely. I love your beer. Um, and I look forward to you putting my face on a can. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Um, and thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.